in Exodus chapter 20. Can you please turn and find yourselves in your own Bibles in Exodus chapter 20? This is our third of uh, 10 sermons through the Ten Commandments. We've, we've spent weeks and in fact months, we started in January, traveling through the amazing journey that the, the story, uh, that the book of Exodus presents to us of God's redemption of the Israelites out of Egypt. This has been our theme, and this has been our, our, our continual remembrance, is that our God, Yahweh, the true, only, triune, living God, is a redeeming God. We thank Him for that, because if He were not, then He would have less left us in our sin and misery after the fall, whereby He cursed us because of our rebellion in Adam and Eve, left us to die, perish underneath his judgment, and every single image bearer of God ever to be born would be uh, perishing eternally in hell. But God would not have it be that way. God would not stand by. And, and of course, he did not create the world on an if. He did not create the world on a maybe and see how things go. But we see that the scripture tells us from as, lo- as far back as we can comprehend and then infinitely further back even still, in eternity past, before God invented time, Time's an invention for God. Before he invented and created time in eternity past, the triune God had agreed together, had planned together that they would enact an amazing, glorious redemption at the price of the Son's blood that the Holy Spirit would change, transform, and save every single one of God's chosen and bring us safely to glory after we die. That is the God that we serve. He is a saving, redeeming God. And we are blessed to be on this side of the cross, the great act of God's redemption. But long before, 1,500 years before Jesus came, there is this scene at Mount Sinai where, where, where the, the Israelites have been saved out of slavery, death, and tyranny to Egypt. And now God is telling them, in one sense, look back on everything I did for you. But also he is commanding them to look forward to the future that they are going to be living as a nation under God. And so he is telling them in this scene, look up to the mountain, the fiery, thundering, earthquaking, uh, uh, trumpet-blowing mountain, this miraculous scene. God calls them to look to him and hear his words that he blasts from heaven and commands them in the form of his Ten Commandments, these eternal binding commandments that are a, are a, are a snippet, are a, are a window into the very nature and heart of God himself. Let's read Exodus chapter 20. I'll be reading again from verse 1 down to verse 7. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, all that is in earth beneath, all that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third And fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. May God bless his own inerrant, powerful word being read in our midst this morning. 
Names have a lot of significance. Hopefully, not everybody, but hopefully your parents put a lot of thought and tender-hearted uh, consideration into your name. We've got a lot, of, a lot of Old Testament prophets running around among our kids. Uh, my, my own is Jeremiah. That is a, an Old Testament prophet. But I've got, uh, we, we now named our boys intentionally, thoughtfully, with, with an eye to our family history and meanings. And you have to check the acronyms of the names to make sure they don't accidentally spell something embarrassing. I knew a, a burly man whose initials were P-A-M, Pam. That went down great. Uh, uh, you have to think about the nicknames that can come off of the names. Names really matter. We, we named our Arthur means, means bear. It is also uh, a borrowing from the name of King Arthur. We want our son to grow up to be bold and a leader of God's people. His middle name is Thomas, which means tremendous and handsome. Last time I looked it up. <laughs> if you Google it, it'll say twin, whatever. Uh, uh, our second boy was Jeremiah uh, at Kinross. Kinross uh, uh, is a Scottish name, part of my, my family lineage from my father. Father's side is Kinross, we, and our third is Leonidas, meaning a lion's heart of courage. It is also named after the great historical uh, Greek Spartan warrior king general, uh, and his middle name is Sage, which means a wise man. We wanted to temper out the Spartan bar barbarity with the sage, the wisdom, the knowledgeable one, which is also the name of a great, great uncle of mine back in New York in the 1830s who was a preacher and a soul winner. So, so we think hard about names. We want to identify them, give them something to grow up into, and look forward to the future to, to sort of imbibe. But names we know carry significance. Maybe you had a father that, that loved his own name and you enough to say something like, you're an Alexander, right? Use, use the surname. You're a Ford. You're a Mackay. You're a, you're, a, you're a Kinross, whatever it may be for you, and say, this, this name carries significance. You, you bring shame upon all of us. Uh, it sounds a little bit Eastern, doesn't it? But uh, 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 something along the lines of to remind you with this name you belong to a certain group and it carries a weight of significance. In this command that we're considering today, the third command, that we shall not take the name of Yahweh our God in vain, we are being reminded that God more than anyone thought intentionally about his name, shared it to us in grace and, and a tremendous act of condescension. The, the infinite God above came down on this mountain to meet with Moses and for the first time tell him, here's the name that you can call me, Yahweh, meaning I am who I am. And this God cares about how his name is utilized and spoken. The first command was don't worship other gods because there are none. Don't worship me through images, icons, or idols was the second commandment. And the third commandment is do not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, that, 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 the wording can be maybe really familiar to us because we memorized this growing up, but on the other hand, not really carry much meaning. What does that even mean to take the Lord's name in vain? It means to invoke God's name or to call on God's authority or to involve God in a certain situation by using his name or his word in such a way that is weightless or that is trivial. That's what we mean by blasphemy. That's what we mean by taking God's name in vain, is to involve God in a conversation, oath, situation, or whatever it may be, in such a way that is to consider him as trivial, as light, of no consequence, 
And so as we've done with every command so far, and we'll continue to do, we're going to ask the question, what does this law, if it's a picture of God in some way, if we can look through the law of God and see something true about God, what is this law telling us about God? Then we're going to ask the question, what does this law command for us today? And thirdly, we're going to ask the question, where is the gospel? How can we be saved from condemnation under this law? The first thing that this law tells us is that God, if I can say just very in common vernacular, in normal nomenclature, in almost a crude way, God is a big deal. He's a massive deal. That, that, that is to say it in a way that is infinitely in, 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 uh, incomplete, insufficient. He's a big deal. Of course he's a big deal. But you look around the evangelical landscape or, or you look at how the Israelites acted in the Old Testament. You, you look at how Christians were, were tending to behave in the New Testament and you realize that our constant tendency is to consider God, use God's name, Think of his words, speak about him in such a way that says he's just not all that big of a deal. There's not a certain, certain weight to him. He's, he's not heavy with significance. There's, there's not a dangerous gravity. The, imagine, if you will, a, a child dancing beside a, a very small puddle, playing around, wrestling with his brother, and there's a very small puddle beside them. No big deal. They fall one misstep splashed foot, maybe mum will be angry that the, the nicely ironed pants got dirty, whatever. But you consider those kids now playing around, mucking around, wrestling, grappling next to, next to Niagara Falls, on the edge, standing up on the little, little rock face and, and suplexing one another. That the, the very same little, little act of just one misstep becomes deadly. It is a massive, massive deal because there is, there is weight there. There is a, a bigger drop. There is millions of gigatons of, is that even a word? I'm saying it is. Gigatons of water that is just flowing over to crush anybody caught in its way. Because God is weighty, he's never frivolous. He's never trivial. He's never not a big deal. He is always severe. Severe is not a bad word. It's just an intense word. God is always severe. Imagine, if you will, again, the scene that these Ten Commandments are being spoken by God from. Remember the scene. God has given us two revelations. Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 20. They're both going to reveal God's law to us, but Exodus chapter 20 reveals it through the words spoken. Exodus 19 tells us the scene that is happening behind the words. And they both communicate to us something about God. And in Exodus 19, we have seen that the, the, the million-person throng of Israelites is standing at the bottom of an enormous, rocky, raggedy, dry mountain. And the top of the mountain is, in, is, in, is on fire. It is literally on fire, and, and gathering up from all of its sides is, sides is billowing smoke like from a kiln. We remembered each week, we keep reminding ourselves of the scene, that there's lightning flashing down from heaven within the clouds, which is all around the top of the mountain, and that there is angelic trumpets 
behind the scenes, somewhere in heaven, blowing trumpets loudly, almost deafening, and then louder than all of that is the earthquake that shakes the very mountain and ground that they are standing on. And yet, louder than that is the booming voice of God. Do you think anybody standing there at Mount Sinai that day was tempted to think, I think God's trying to tell us he's just not a big deal. You know, Moses has mentioned a few times, I think Father Abraham passed down a tradition of fearing the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. I think he's been mistaken. What I'm reading from this scene is that he wants a cuddle. He wants to give me a scratch on the belly. He's, he's not a big deal. Take a, take a break. Just chill out. Relax. It's, it's only Yahweh after all. Do you think anything other than the exact opposite of that is being communicated through the scene whereby God tells his law to the Israelites? He is telling them, I am a big deal. I'm always severe. I must not be taken lightly. My name matters. You remember that they were told if anybody comes beyond the priests, the priests were sort of the fence line, if anybody barges past the priest, as if to say, I don't know if his threats matter that much. I don't know if he's actually all that scary. If they break through and try, maybe, maybe from a dare, from a brother, maybe somebody just doesn't care enough to be careful and they just bump over the line and they touch the foot of the mountain, they were to be stoned to death. This was a severe scene. Listen to how the LBC, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, written in the 1600s, uh, are borrowing from the Westminster and Savoy, the, the historical Christian reformed statements of faith, speak about God like this. I think we need to readopt this severity and understanding of God. The Lord our God is but the only living and true God, whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be fully comprehended by anybody but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, who, hath, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light that no man can approach unto, which is, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal, most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who by no means will clear the guilty. We don't take this God lightly. We don't think of him as of no consequence. He is severe. And he communicates that to the Israelites. The next thing that we understand to be revealed uh, from God in this law, what is this law telling us about God, is that God himself is sanctifying his name. Now that might sound pretty, uh, uh, a bit of an assumption there, pretty, maybe a tautology. I mean, if the commandment is, sanctify my name. Do not consider my name as light and vain. Do not invoke me in such frivolous matters. And we go, well, of course he's sanctifying his name. That's what the law is. I'm saying, no, 
This law is but one example of the entirety of, it, of, of redemptive history where God is sanctifying his name. I, I think in one way, not the only way, but one way we could summarize the entire storyline of the Bible is that Yahweh is sanctifying his name. It starts out and, and, he's one, and he's speaking with mankind in the garden, but that relationship is severed through the lie of the devil where he told Eve, don't take it so seriously, it's just a fruit. You think, you think God's going to come through on his promises? Gee whiz, uh, relax, it's just Yahweh. She's fooled and she's tempted. His name is profaned. The image that bears God, the human being, is cast down into sin. And, and, then, and then history goes on and God comes down and judges the human race again through the flood. And, and then he meets later with Noah and enters into covenant with, uh, sorry, Abraham, enters into covenant with him and then meets his descendant Moses and reveals his divine holy name and then sanctifies for himself a people whose job it was supposed to be to sanctify Yahweh's name to the whole world. And and then continually, God says, even through Ezekiel, the constant uh, uh, refrain that God says to the Israelites, the reason I'm doing my amazing work in your midst is to sanctify my name. Here's what he says, Ezekiel 20 verse 9. I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. This is God's, one of God's continually, uh, con continual themes throughout all of redemptive history. So that we get to the Lord's Prayer. God himself down on earth in the person of Jesus. And his disciples say, tell us how to pray. What's the first request? He tells them to pray to God. Hallowed be thy name. Not, that's not a statement. That's a request. That's a petition. Father, hallow your name. And may your name be hallowed or sanctified or made weighty, made holy in our midst. That is the first and most important request that Christians can pray and everything else flows from it. He is our father, but his name is to be hallowed. And as, time, as history goes on, it is God's continual aim to sanctify his name until there will come a time where every blasphemy and every enemy to God and his Christ will be put down. Listen to Philippians 2. In fact, this is what Kevin DeYoung says about this verse. The culminating event in all of creation is when, in all of history, is when at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2, 10 to 11. The Bible does not want us to forget the holy importance of the divine name. So what we see commanded in the third commandment, do not take my name lightly, we see that God himself is already in the business of doing and fulfilling himself. This is what he is doing throughout all of history, sanctifying his name so that he is seen as holy, seen as glorious, seen as fearful, seen as dangerous, but seen as loving, gracious Savior. It is our job to sanctify his name for his glory because that is what he is doing every moment of every day. This reveals to us that God is a big deal. He is always severe. 
It reveals to us that he is in the business of sanctifying his name, even as he condescends to us to reveal himself to us. But then we can ask a little bit more practically. There's some backgrounds for us. This is the God who speaks that law. This is what motivates this law. We have to ask, as Christians, seeking to live in obedience to the royal law, in obedience to the, to the law of love and this, the, the word and the law of Christ, as it's called in the New Testament, the, the moral law of God, <coughs> how do we obey this? The main commandment, if we can summarize it again, the main essence of the commandment that we must keep in our minds is that we do not treat God and his name trivially. We must not be a church or a generation or individual Christians or families that treat Yahweh and his name in a trivial manner. We may treat God in a trivial manner, or or we do treat God in a trivial manner when we curse his name. This is obviously a clear breaking of this command. This is probably what I think most of us would jump to if I said, uh, what does this commandment mean? Uh, maybe we just grew up and, and we just uh, memorized it as kids as don't blaspheme. Or, or we thought that we were pretty good at not breaking this commandment. The other ones are all pretty hard. Uh, but this one, the, the don't blaspheme God's name, it's pretty easy. Just don't say, oh my God. Just don't stub your toe and then yell out Jesus Christ as so many do today. Just don't curse using God's name and that's pretty much it, but it is not it. It is not all that the law commands. There is much more to it, and we will see that. But it is still worth saying, because it is still one of the primary applications, that we treat God's name extremely trivially when we use his name as a curse, when we hurt ourselves and cry out the name of the Messiah, or when we use, even even by way of acronyms and three-letter things on social media, O OMG, I don't care if you think it's oh my gosh, that doesn't matter and shouldn't matter. Everyone else reads, oh my God. That is not an appropriate way for a Christian sanctified by God's name, called a holy one, a saint, sanctified by the name of Christian. It is an inappropriate way every time to use the name of God or the titles of God, my Lord, good Lord, oh Christ. These ways are blasphemous uses of God's name. Coming back to the essence of the commandment, because it is involving and invoking his name to trivial matters. Sometimes not only trivial, but downright sinful. Horrible cursings of God's name used in situations that anger us, or that excite us, or that amaze us, or that annoy us. The use of God's name in that way is to take his name in vain. Or to look at him and curse him by, by, by saying, I hate you, God. I don't believe in you, God. Do you realize that atheism is a breaking of the third commandment? To look at him and take his name so trivially, such a, as such a small deal that I can just pretend he's not even there and he won't care. But he does care. He says at the, the back end of this commandment, I will not hold him or her guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Lord does not hold you guiltless. If you look at him and say he's not there, I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't misspeak his name because I don't even think he exists. That is the highest form of blasphemy. One of the highest forms of blasphemy. To say that he, he matters so little, he has so little consequence about him, he won't do anything and will just go pretending he's not there. But it is, of course, so much more than this. It's the, to, to take God's name in vain is to curse his name. That is one way. But there are other ways that we may break this commandment. 
We treat God as if he were trivial when we use his name to certify falsehoods. Maybe you've caught yourself doing this before, that, that, that you're telling a lie, and it's a pretty tall lie. You, you won the grand final premiership and got best and fairest player and MVP and all the rest. No, 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 swear to God, it really happened. Maybe it's something a bit more, bit more serious with your spouse. You've been caught in some way, or, or a friend has, has uncovered a terrible sin in your life that needs discussing. You say, hey, hand on my heart, swear to God, I did not do this thing. That is to invoke God the thrice holy, infinite, just God, to come down into the situation and deliberate who's right, who's wrong, and punish whoever is lying. That's what you're doing. It is a magnificent grace that he does not, at every time we do that, come down and do exactly what we ask him to do. When we swear falsely and try and use God's name in order to, to bind it up in an impressive wrapping paper, or, or when we just, just throw out his name, and no, honest to God, I, I really didn't uh, take the five bucks, and the God's name needs to come in in such a situation of five measly, highly inflated dollars? Really? Or if we, if we do what is allowable in Scripture, something like the swearing to God, or invoking his name in matters of weighty vows, such as wedding vows, officers of the church, elders and deacons swearing to uh, uh, undertake their most holy calling, or, 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 or civil magistrate, or, or in the courts. It's okay in those times, in weighty matters, his, uh, Christian history uh, agrees, to utilize God's name is to say, really and truly, I swear by God's name in this matter, and I will treat it with the utmost severity. However, when we then go and lie in perjury in court, or we then go and under, uh, 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 undermine all of our marriage vows by the mistreatment of the wife, or the, or, or the destruction of the family, or a, or a lack of care about the covenant relationship we're in, or in infidelity and adultery, whatever it may be, those things are taking the rightfully used most solemn vows to God, and again treating him as if he's just going to be like my, 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 my second cousin. Is he going to lose any sleep if I break my marriage vows? Is he going to lose any sleep at all if I lie in court or, or I dishonor my vows to serve the church? No, of course, he's got better things to do. That is not how God considers our vows that rightly invoke his name. So we treat God as trivial and inconsequential when we curse him or when we use his name to justify or certify falsehoods. We also treat God's name trivially when we act in frivolous ways. We use his name or act frivolously. Maybe, maybe you're, you, you do things like this. You go, swear to God, best donuts in town. Best, honest to God. Yeah, Jesus' favorite donuts. I've, I've heard Christians sort of use, use God's name as kind of a buddy. He'll attest to this in that kind of way. No, 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 no. Swear to God, Broncos will take it this season. My goodness, how, how fr no, not intentionally seeking to destroy the name of God, just not even respecting him enough to wonder if he cares or whether he would even go for that. Or does God even care about the NRL? I, I'm going to guess not. Um, maybe you think that's blasphemy. I don't. Or, or to involve God's name in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a frivolous way when we have an opinion or a preference, but we'll say to other Christians, God's just leading me to think... Uh, you know, I think God, what God's telling us here is that you, you should just let me do it. Or I, I, uh, God's direction in this way, or, or I think God's will is, or to just invoke his name when really all we mean is, I feel strongly about this. 
Well, newsflash, you're not God, so you feeling strongly doesn't mean that the thrice holy triune God also has and shares that opinion. Using God's name frivolously, in a silly way, had a friend with a shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. Not standing near him in a thunderstorm. Frivolous, silly, light-hearted ways that just demean or, or make God so common. And, and I think we're, we're especially tempted to do this in the evangelical world because God has so condescended down to us in the person of Jesus. He has so made himself one of us. And, and we've come out of the, out of the Catholic uh, 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 medieval Babylonian captivity of the church, right? The, they made God inaccessible behind doors and Latin phrases and sacraments and priests. And, and you weren't even allowed to take communion properly. And there's all these ways that the Reformation brought Christ back to the people. And this is a glorious thing. And, and then as time goes on and evangelicalism grows and she swings again into some legalism. And, and what is the, the second great awakening and other things that have sort of birthed the, the modern evangelical movement do? They, they bring Christ back to the people. They, they take him out of the ivory towers and bring him accessible, loved, uh, right in front of the people. And yet our, our tendency is to swing the pendulum the other way. As far as we would pull back from, swing away from, locking Christ and God up away from the people, we, we, we never stop right in the biblical middle, but the momentum carries and now we make Jesus a buddy, a pal, even a boyfriend. And we speak of him that way. Or, or this is one of the ways that we can be frivolous with the name and attributes of God is in worship. Clowns of preachers that dare call themselves shepherds. And their job is to entertain and keep people laughing and, and just feeling like they're having the best fun ever on a Sunday morning and, and, and wrestling each other into the baptismal tank, frisbeeing out the communion elements, seeing that, the, 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 the joking, the, the, the silliness around the sacraments, the, the carelessness around membership and the leadership of the church and the, and the outright destruction and molestation of the word of God to just fit any agenda the preacher wants. The silliness that makes the sanctified holy worship of God so common, not, 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 not so as to be accessible to people, but common so as to be enjoyable to meet the preferences of the people rather than the one being worshipped. Frivolity in the church, or we could say half-heartedness even. Half-hearted, maybe you come to a great church. Maybe there's, and, and, and I pray you think that's here. I pray that God is blessing us through the word of God and through the, the right means of grace. And we would come in ready to hear the gospel and apply the word preached. But, but, but you come in and doesn't the devil just love Saturday night and love Sunday morning? And he'll distract, and he'll anger, and he'll dis, uh, annoy you, or he'll, he'll, he'll put your mind elsewhere so that you're sitting in church, and we're here, and the words are here, and the songs are being sung, but your mind is elsewhere. You, your mind is on the business that's, that, that's annoying you. Your mind is on the family dilemma back home. Your mind is, mind is actually just on the footy table. It's just thinking about where, you, where your team's sitting and whether or not you're going to be making anything off the tippings this week. Your, your mind is back on your favorite TV show or, or you know what? It's just anywhere. You come in, you care so little, you're just waiting for it to end and then you're out of here. This kind of light-hearted, half-hearted, lukewarm worship of God is to take his name as trivial, as light as inconsequential. Or we could say that it is, we take God's name trivially when you live a hypocritical Christian life. 
And this is to the converted and the unconverted. There are ways that Christians can contradict their profession. They'll call themselves that. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a holy one person. I'm one who is made unified to the God-man, the King, and the Lord of all, the holy one. And our life is filled with ridiculous swearing, frivolity, immaturity, drunkenness, uh, the watching of perversions, the, 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 the illegal or immoral actions in our workplace, and we join in as much as anybody else. And in doing that, we are, we are flying Christ's banner and leading it into unholy ways. The Corinthians had this problem. They, they were on the way to church, dropping off at the, uh, at the whorehouses. And, and Paul had to tell them, you matter. Your, your whole body, your soul, your whole life does not belong to you. It was purchased at the price of Christ's own blood. Therefore, every second, every day, every element of who you are belongs to Jesus and must reflect him in your life. Or on the other side, there may be people who come and are fairly happy that other people consider you pretty Christian. And you know that as long as you like the right kind of music, share the right kind of things on social media, dress appropriately enough, uh, lift a hand once or twice, uh, say yes, brother, amen, sister, after church a couple of times. Uh, just you know how to, how to be in the flock of God, hiding the fact that deep down you know you're a goat. You're not converted. And yet you're taking upon yourself the name and the, and the worship and the title of being Christian. This is to consider that God is really, is really no different from any, any other imagination of man, is really no different. Christian is no different from any other kind of lifestyle. You can slap on a, on a facade on the outside. Like, who's God? What's he going to care? Is he, is he ever going to meet us and visit us in judgment? I, I doubt it. But he will. Maybe not now. Maybe at the end of a long, long life. But a life filled with the blasphemy of hypocrisy. Of saying, I'm a Christian. I, I took the sacraments. I, I sung the words and never meant a word of it. That. That is one of the ways to blaspheme the holy name of God. We must be a people of whom Psalm 8 and Psalm 29 resound. We need to be a people who embody this idea. O oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We must be a people who imbibe Psalm 29 verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So that we are a church that sanctifies and treats very seriously, not just the phrase of Yahweh or Jehovah or Lord, God, Jesus, Christ, whatever name is appropriate and biblical, not, not any one of them is particularly needed, but, if we, but it's not just the name, it is also the covenants, the attributes, the worship, the word. The sacraments of God, all of this is tied up within his name and we must be those that sanctify it and treat it seriously. We must ask the question, what of the gospel? What of the gospel? Because at this point, every single one of us, I, I hope that if you were like me growing up, in fact, I was probably 14 before I even knew that there was a difference between idolatry and adultery and I didn't know what either one of them were but one of them was a past tense, one of them a present tense, and I didn't know what it meant. Idolatry, the worship of other images and other gods being the first commandment and the third one using God's name in vain. Maybe like a good religious kid like me when I was growing up, you think, I just don't break the first three. 
I just don't, I'm a Christian. I don't do that. I don't say, oh my God, at inappropriate times, I'm good. I hope at this point we realize every one of us has a tendency daily to blaspheme God's name by taking him less seriously than he demands to be taken. Every single one of us is a blasphemer at heart. Jesus Christ, in his earthly ministry, spoke to people who had just told him, we think you're sent from Satan. Now, true or false, it's a pretty big sin, looking at the Son of God saying, Satan sent you. Somebody stood up in church today and said, my opinion is of such that Jesus was actually the devil incarnate. Pretty big sin. Just, just putting that out there. One of the top three of the Ten Commandments, definitely you would think, unforgivable. That's what Jesus said in his earthly ministry, having just been charged with that. He said, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. If you were standing at Mount Sinai and looking up, and somebody cursed God's name behind you, you'd start getting out of the way. Rocks are going to start falling. Lightning is coming. And if the voice was to boom, truly, I say to you, you'd think this is bad news. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus, that same God who spoke at Sinai, when he's actually embodied amongst them and they call him Satan, he says to them, the first thing off his lips, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. What an amazing promise that God in flesh comes to bring. Every single sin can be forgiven the children of man. Let's not skim over that as we go to the rest of the verse. Every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven of you. What an amazing Jesus. What an amazing Savior this God is. All sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Any blasphemy in the worship of God that was half-hearted, maybe before you became a Christian, you were, you were zealous, but you were wrong. You were, you were self-righteous, but you were not righteous in Christ. Paul calls himself that. He says, I was a blasphemer before Jesus humbled me and saved me. Whatever blasphemy you've committed in secret to strike out against God, in frivolity because you don't take his name seriously, in falsehood because you want him to assert to your falsehoods, whatever it may be, every blasphemy we have ever, ever uttered can be forgiven us. But... Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Every single sin that is ever committed by anybody who places their faith in Jesus, whether it is your past sin, the sins you're presently struggling with, including blasphemy, or sins that you haven't even committed yet, when you place your faith in Jesus... All of your sin is counted as paid for because Jesus suffered in his death on the cross so as to fully discharge the debt that your guilt had. Every ounce of your guilt was given to Jesus. Every ounce of that guilt of every person that would ever trust in Jesus discharged fully and finally at the cross. He paid it all. The only condition that God gives to us to receive such salvation, I said it before, is faith. Faith is taking Jesus seriously. Taking God seriously. He's going to judge you. Acknowledge that. You're a sinner. That's what he tells you. Acknowledge. Don't take that lightly. Don't blaspheme his name in that way. He has sent his son 
to be your savior so that anybody who believes can be saved from hell, which is a reality. Don't, don't blaspheme God as saying, oh, I'll see my friends in hell. We'll listen, we'll listen to our favorite rock music. And what a blasphemous, lighthearted way to consider the most severe realities that there are. Faith is in one sense the ultimate way for a sinner to not blaspheme God. We can say it the other way. To reject the gospel is the highest act of blasphemy to God that one can commit. That's why Jesus in this instance calls it the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not saying, I think that denomination does some off things when they're doing miracles. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not even blaspheming in word or deed or conduct the person of the Holy Spirit. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit means to remain in a sustained lack of belief until the point of death in the face of overwhelming evidence of the gospel. That is to say, people who hear the gospel, reject the gospel, do not believe the gospel, though God makes it evidently plain to their hearts, that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And, and the, the essence of it is because it does not have faith that believes in Christ, that sin and every other sin along with it cannot receive forgiveness. So Jesus says, those who, in the hearing of the words of God, in the presence of the name of God, in the gathering of the people of God, if you hear the gospel and you close your ears off to it, you are getting day by day closer to the day of your death where you finally seal yourself in the unforgivable eternal sin. You will never have forgiveness. But if today and any day before you die, but because I don't know that you have another 24 hours today, this is my urgency. If today you acknowledge I'm a sinner of the highest kind, I am hopeless and helpless in and of myself, my only hope is that Jesus would count me as one of his own and hide me in his wounds so that I don't have to be judged for my sin. If you would do that and you rest and you call on the name of Jesus in your heart and say, Jesus, please count me, save me, take me, Redeem me. If you do that, then this instant, Jesus will cleanse you, save you, and forgive you. And you will never have to face an ounce of God's wrath for your guilt according to your blasphemies. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge, we acknowledge against our, our, our usual nature that you are a holy God. You are severe and more severe than we recognize. You are you are. Terrible in your judgments, the, the confession says. The, the Bible says. Uh, terrible, not, not bad. Terrible, fearsome. Terrible, intense and severe. And you command us, Romans 11, consider the severity and the kindness of God. We, we are so, we are so uh, uh, naturally leaning towards considering your niceness, your kindness, your grace, without reference to your wrath and your, your judgments. Father God, forgive us for being blasphemous in that way. We want to recognize and be refreshed and renewed and, and, and remember that the God we serve is a fearful, infinite, triune, holy, judging God who does not hold guiltless those who blaspheme and use your name vainly. God, we've never prayed a prayer that was holy enough. We've never prayed a prayer that, 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 that considered you as weighty as you really are. Every prayer that we pray is filled with sin of, of vanity, and yet we thank you that our prayers are sanctified. They're acceptable because they're made in Christ's name. 
We thank you that you're gracious. You, you know that we're made of dust. You know that we are so small and, and, and finite and you bear with us even as we fail to fully comprehend you. But Father God, we turn to the mercy that you've shown, that you've poured out through your son, Jesus Christ. We do pray that you would make us a holy people, that you would make us those who sanctify your name, treat your name seriously, honor your name and your sacraments and your word and your worship. But Father God, I pray that we would honor you in the most high and glorious way. There would be those who love the gospel, who trust the gospel, and, and who, who entrust ourselves to Jesus in the gospel, knowing that we are forgiven by faith alone because of Christ's finished work. I pray, Lord God, that, that you would help us be a church that, 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 that undoes and that pulls back, like, like George Whitfield, the, who, who, who pulls back the profanity and the blasphemy and the false religion of his generation because he preached the gospel. And as he preached the gospel, people were saved and started to sanctify the name of God. Please, Lord God, in the gospel is the most, most mighty way that we can honor your name so that people bend the knee of their hearts to Jesus and confess him as Lord. We pray, Lord God, that the unconverted in our midst this morning would do that. Those who aren't believers in Jesus would lean on him to receive salvation and redemption. Father God, please, may you do all these things as we have asked in the name of Jesus, for we do pray in that name of our most holy, glorious King and Lord and Christ and Savior. And everybody said... This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.